Good morning, everybody. God bless you. You may be seated. It's so wonderful to be with you here in New Zealand. Um, as Pastor Stefan said, it is my first trip out here, and man, have I been impressed. Praise the Lord. One thing Pastor Stefan may not tell you, and Pastor Vanessa, is that um, this church was instrumental in changing the direction of Christian Family Church International. You see, up until I'd met Pastor Stefan and Vanessa, the Bible school that we've developed really was only for Christian family churches around the world because our, our DNA is so unique as a church. Uh, we believe in growing people in the knowledge of God while keeping them humble through service. And I'll be speaking to you about that later. So there are many Bible schools around the world. So really the school was developed with a certain spirit in mind, an apostolic anointing. And so it was really only made available to all of our churches around the world. And I was quite satisfied as the churches grew in number, grew in size, getting there and, um, and implementing these Bible schools in these different churches, Tampa, Sarasota, um, all over the world. And so when I met Pastor Stefan and Vanessa during that Skype call, the Lord spoke very, 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 very clearly to me. And he said to me that it was time for us to start branching out and embracing churches of like spirit and like faith and allowing God to have his way in those churches through Bible school. And it was because I had met this couple that I really approached Pastor Theo, put my head in the lion's mouth, so to speak, because I'd been given an apostolic mandate, this is what you will do. And I said to Pastor Theo, I've met this very, very precious couple that I believe God wants us to open our arms to and, and allow Bible school to be, to be planted in their church. Without even thinking about it, Pastor Theo's spirit leapt within him, and he embraced um, both Pastor Stefan and Vanessa before even meeting them. And when they came to South Africa, he really fell in love with this couple. He prays them every day. Um, they're on the top of his prayer list. You as a church are on the top of his prayer list. Their name is mentioned before the Lord, and he brings your service to God as a memorial before the Lord. And he asks God to bless this church. And so I wanted you to know that I bring you his love and his greetings and his appreciation. But more than that, I want you to know that um, just as we are here to serve you, if we were complete as an organization without you, God would never have brought us together. And so just like you believe we contribute to you, I believe that this church and you guys here all the way in New Zealand contribute to us. And so I'm humbled to be with you this weekend and um, next weekend. And I thank God for everything that he's going to do. Praise the Lord. Amen. Give God a hand of praise. Well, they've been, they've been such wonderful hosts. Wherever I travel in the world, I generally just stay in hotels. I live in and out of suitcases. I did um, 14 international trips last year which kind of took its toll on me. So it's so refreshing to be actually be staying with a pastoral couple for a change. And so it's, they've welcomed me into their homes. So I'd like to honor you and thank you for your generosity, your hospitality. You know, you can't always just live in somebody's home. You've got to know it's a call of God, right? He's got to connect people in order for that to take place. And so they've been so wonderful. We had a wonderful breakfast yesterday with a couple of people. People and Peter and Di were there. And so it's amazing because this is, although it's my first time to New Zealand, it's not my first exposure to the Kiwis. And so yesterday morning, we were just, we were just recounting stories of um, a wonderful man of God that Pastor Theo was very close to. In actual fact, we supported his ministry until he went home to be with the Lord, and that was Barry Smith, Evangelist Barry Smith. He was at my 30th birthday. Him and May were at my 30th birthday. For those, how many of you know who Barry Smith is? Wave at me. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay. You can't have the South African knowing your barriers, and you guys don't know. So we supported Barry for many years, and I was telling him a story, and I want to open up with this joke. I just have to. He was at my 30th birthday, and you know Barry, he always, everybody, you say, hey, quiet, everybody. 
I've got a joke to tell, you know. You always love telling jokes and always getting people in the mood and laughing. And so we were at my 30th birthday and we had about 40 people there. And so he says, he says, Andre, get everybody to hush up, you know. So I'll get everybody to keep quiet. He says, I've got a joke. He says, uh, who knows the one about, who knows the one about the farmer? Now, in an environment like that, when you've got 40 people, sometimes, even if somebody doesn't know the joke, they'll just agree and say, yeah, yeah, I know that, you know. So one of my friends, Tim, a tall guy, six foot seven, when Barry said, who knows the one about the farm? He says, I do. Barry says, okay, you tell it. <laughs> so, so Tim was so embarrassed. But anyway, he proceeded to tell this joke of this elderly farmer couple that got broken into. And um, these guys came in with shotguns. And um, they said, listen, we're going to kill you and take all of your belongings. So the couple, both laying afraid in bed, expected to die. And they looked at the woman. They said to the woman, they said, listen, you're about to die. What's your name? She says, oh, my name's Elizabeth. So he says, oh, no, my mom's name's Elizabeth. I can't kill you. He looks at the man and says, what's your name? He says, my name's Frank, but my friends call me Elizabeth. <laughs> and so... And so, yeah, never forget good old Barry. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, won't you just stand with me as I open up in prayer and let's get into the word this morning. Father, I come before you in the wonderful name of Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would make your appeal through me, as it were, to all of those whom you predestined to enroll on Bible school, to walk in a deeper and more closer relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and in so doing, that their ministry or your ministry through them may be accomplished in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor for everything that will be accomplished today and for every life that will be changed and for every enrollment on Bible school. And all those who agreed said, Amen. Praise the Lord. You may take your seats, ladies and gentlemen. I believe it's the fundamental desire of every preacher that stands behind a pulpit and speaks the word of God, um, to hope that their congregation or everybody that they would speak to would serve in the full capacity that God wants them to. In essence, that the grace of God would not be in vain on their life. Um, just like it isn't for most preachers, they're operating in their gifts and their call. But each and every one of you, you know this. It's almost become cliche, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Now, as wonderful as what that is, unless you know what God's plans for you are, it's kind of pointless. God says, I know the plans I have for you. So it's in order to tap into God so his plan for you can be revealed to you so you can operate in that plan. Amen? And so, and so I believe it's every minister's, and really it was Paul the Apostle's desire. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, he says this, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So here we can see a warning from the Apostle Paul to say, Listen, God's grace has been poured out upon your life. Don't receive it in vain. Now the word in vain um, alludes to that it's not something that we do accidentally. It's for a born-again believer to know that he's received the grace of God, but yet not do anything with it. So it is possible, if Paul warns us not to, we have to accept that it is possible as a born-again believer to receive the abundant grace of God in vain, but yet have to give an account for it before the Lord one day. Now let me just define grace for you for a moment. I've heard many people define God's grace as unmerited favor. I'm going to tell you the personal issue that I have with that. Okay? And I'll back it up with Scripture. 
I believe it's one of the adjectives for grace, but I don't believe it can define grace. For example, if you're driving a Ford out there, you know it's a Ford by the badge and not by the color of the car. For example, if your Ford happens to be blue, it doesn't mean that every blue car that drives down the road is going to be a Ford, correct? So, when we speak about the adjective of grace being God's unmerited favor, it would be similar to comparing the color, I've got a blue Ford, but it doesn't define what the Ford is. So what is the grace of God? If it cannot be defined as unmerited favor, let me explain to you why I've got a problem with that, Pastor Stephan, is because the Bible says in the book of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and, flesh and dwelt among us, verse 12 says, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of grace. So if grace is defined as unmerited favor, defined as that, we would have to therefore conclude that John chapter 1 and verse 12 is saying that Jesus, our Savior, was full of unmerited favor, which cannot be. Cannot be. Jesus was not a sinner. The grace upon his life was not unmerited. So granted, for the most part, it is for us, but it's in this definition of unmerited favor that people have gone off way off doctrine and really messed up this grace message. So you might ask me, Pastor Andre, well, that's all I knew it to be. What is then the grace of God? Well, I'll tell you one of the most profound definitions I've ever heard for the grace of God that can be backed up throughout Scripture, and it's this. And I'm not teaching on grace today. I just wanted to make sure that you understood it as I tell you this, as I um, repeat what Paul re re spoke about, about God's grace not being in vain in your life. So what is God's grace? I believe the grace of God is the empowering presence of God, enabling you to be who God created you to be and to do what God created you to do. You see, now if you take that definition and not description, if you take that definition and insert it into John chapter 1 and verse 12, it would read as follows. For we beheld him, Jesus, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of the empowering presence of God that enabled him to be who God created him to be and do what God created him to do. In actual fact, if you take that definition and insert it, wherever you see grace in the Word of God, you will notice that it flows perfectly. And so here today, each and every one of you have received that empowering presence of God that enables you to be who God created you to be and to do what God has created you to do. And Paul comes along in Corinthians and says, I urge you not to receive this empowering in vain. That's what he says. Now, if you, if you go just back to verse 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 5 verse 17, one of the most powerful scriptures we know that we are a new creation we are brand new people that's what the bible says so he springboards off that and if you go read 1 corinthians chapter 15 he also alludes to the fact that we are the ambassadors of christ that means that we are always to demonstrate the glory of the lord that this grace that we received was not only to save us but to empower us to see others saved so every single one of you in this room here today, yes, the grace of Jesus has saved you, the grace of God has saved you, but even prior to that, the Lord says, listen, you have to tap into this grace in order to become effective member of the family of God. And really, that is what I want to speak about today. I want to speak about not, I want to speak about going beyond salvation. I want to speak about going beyond you, your personal growth in God to becoming and fulfilling what God wanted you to do. Throughout Scripture, 
every character of the Bible that was worth his weight in gold had a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus and that was paramount. His time with God could not and would not be compromised. I'll be proving this to you from Scripture. So really today, as I speak about Bible school, and that's really on the periphery, I'm hoping that through my own personal testimony and some of the Scriptures that I'll be sharing with you, that the Lord would speak to your heart and the Holy Spirit would impress upon you the need to become or to roll on Bible school and become more committed in your walk with God in that context. You see, we live in a society today, Pastor Stephen, where people fear commitment. And really, the fear of commitment, did you know it's not just a personality issue, it's a character flaw. I mean, people don't want to get married today because they don't want to commit. Maybe somebody better comes along. I mean, as good as what he looks now, in his 20s, in his late 30s, things might change a bit. And what happens if somebody comes along that looks like he looks now and he doesn't look like that anymore? So they don't want to get married because they don't want to, they don't want to buy homes. They don't want to pay a bond. They don't want to pay a mortgage because it binds them for 20 years and they feel constricted. So nobody wants to commit anymore. Listen to me, ladies. When you find a guy, don't bother with a guy that's not prepared to commit. And likewise, guys, don't date somebody who's not prepared to commit. Can you imagine, Pastor Stefan, if Jesus had that character flaw? Can you imagine him in the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, if he was the average Christian, <laughs> and the weight of the sin of the world descended upon him, I mean, he might have been holy, he might have been consecrated, he loved God, but he just had that one character flaw, he feared commitment. Can you imagine what would have happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when the sin of the world descended upon him and he was sweating blood for us? If that was the average Christian, he would have said, God, everything is okay but this. And he walked away. And sometimes, a Christian's fear of commitment, to the same extent, may not see the world lose out on meeting Jesus. But most definitely those people that God has called them to touch will do. And so I don't know about you, but I needed, I told them yesterday, do you know why God made me dean of the Bible school? Why he made me develop an entire curriculum with the help of others and by his grace. Do you know why God made me do that? Because he knew I wouldn't enroll. <laughs> so my point to you today is that if you don't enroll, chances are God could get you authoring a couple of books or getting involved and making a few manuals or something like that. So best you enroll. In hindsight, if I'd done then, <laughs> the Lord might have spared me. So fear of commitment is a, is, a, is a terrible character flaw that we find prevalent in the body of Christ today. And we need help, and I need help. You know, it's great to know your strengths, but it's more important to know your weaknesses. Because you can really only grow and become a true leader when you begin to identify what your weaknesses are. I mean, it's amazing. This last December, our students wrote their final exam. Saturday morning, before the exam, we had 800 Christians of our church alone get up, no doubt, at 4 o'clock in that morning and pray like they've never prayed before. Father, I thank you that I'm filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that I may fully please you. I thank you that Christ has become my wisdom from God. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. Therefore, I can expect to know what to do in every situation in Jesus' name. I bet you those guys prayed their hearts out and on any other day, 
They would never have done that. But I bet you I know what they were praying and why they were praying it. Because Bible school test and exam was that afternoon. And so guess what? The fact that they had committed to Bible school began to produce a discipline in their life that chances are they never ever would have got to if they had not enrolled. And so I'm appealing to you today. If you know your strengths but not aware of your weaknesses, it's great. I mean, I've heard people say, oh man, how many of you have prayed, God, change me? Can I see your hands? If you've prayed, God, change me. And I think that's the fundamental desire of our heart is to grow closer to the Lord and want to change. But one day God spoke to me loud and clear. I said, I was begging. I was praying. I was fasting. God, change me. God, change me. And the Lord said to me, Andre, you want to change? Then just make a change. It's not rocket science. Sometimes we try and put our own free will on the shelf and say, Lord, if I had to choose, I wouldn't. But here we go, just do your thing. And we are free moral agents. We always will be. So God said, listen, you want to change? Just make one. So I'm saying to you today, if you want to change, if you've been praying that prayer and seeking God and saying, Lord, I want a more intimate relationship with you. I want a deeper walk with you. I want to win more souls. Listen, the road where the hell is paved with good intentions. Or is it just me? Sometimes we just have to apply the practicalities that produce a change in our lives. Isn't that right? And so maybe today the Lord is saying to you, listen, you want to change, just make one. You know the definition of stupidity Albert Einstein said? To do the same thing today but expect a different result tomorrow. Keep on doing the same thing but expecting a different result. And so really that's what Bible school is about. Bible school planting in churches really is to get the congregation, to get people that have been trusting God to be different, give them an opportunity to actually be different and do something new and do something fresh. And at the same time, in be, be involved in a disciplined environment that expects stuff from you. An environment of accountability. You see, I need that. Sorry. Just working. I feel like that guy from Tron. Maybe my head's a bit bigger than yours, Pastor Stephen. Not in that sense, but I mean just physically. <laughs> where was I? Oh, so some of us, like myself, I need an environment where people watch me. I know my strengths, but also know my weaknesses. And that brings out the best in me. Perhaps you here today are a lot like me. And you need that kind of environment. I mean, you're running away from it because of your fear of a commitment. You're thinking, ah, people don't want to become cell leaders anymore. Because if they become a cell leader, then every Wednesday night I have to be at my home and look after people that I might not like. <laughs> what happens if next Wednesday comes and I get a telephone call and I get a free dinner? Peter and I invite me to dinner and I, and I get a, what happens then? Then I wouldn't be able to accept their invitation. You see, that's why I can't become a cell leader. Because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what blessings may come your way. Oh, come on, give me a break. You see, commitment is what keeps us on the right path. It keeps us there. And I'm telling you now, I was a cell leader myself. So I know what it's like. And you're going to get those days where God wants you to do stuff that you don't want to do because the spirit is always willing, but the flesh will always be weak. The day you will stop fighting the flesh is the day you go home and in heaven. That's the only time. In actual fact, we are told that we have to crucify our flesh daily. It's a daily walk to say, hey, down boy. The next morning you wake up, he's there again. So we have to com 
continually defeat him by faith. So what these practical things do, like Bible school, it introduces a dimension into your life that actually forces growth. You tie a child down on the table that doesn't want to eat, and you progressively begin to force feed him. Guess what? Whether he likes it or not, he grows. Even if he lays on that table while he's eating and says, I'm not going to grow, I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to grow. In Jesus' name, I'm not going to grow. Mark 11, 23, 24. Have faith in God. I'm telling you, say to this mountain, I'm not going to grow. He can confess until he's blue in the face, Pastor Stephen. The bottom line is what's going to happen. He's going to grow. So you're going to come one night a week and you're going to be exposed to the Word of God and you're going to be taught regardless of whether you feel like coming or not. You're going to walk out having grown. Because unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it produces fruit. You see, this is the magnificent thing about the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's not like any other book. It's life. Ephesians says the Word, or the, um, John tells us that the Word washes us. Mark 4 tells us the Word cleanses us. Ephesians tells us the Word feeds us. So all you have to do is come here on Bible school and go, in your spirit, obviously. And then Jesus goes on to say, the farmer sows, he leaves, he sleeps. He does not know how, but yet the thing it begins to sprout and it begins to grow. And every seed produces after its own kind. So as you come here, regardless of the week you've had or what kind of, kind of situation you're in, and you're listening how to recognize the voice of God, and you say, Lord, regardless of the things I've had, the challenges I've had, I'm coming to Bible school, I'm going to... And you're going to listen to how to, receive, how to recognize the voice of God. All of a sudden, that seed is going to start producing after its own kind. Once it's sown into your heart, and you're going to begin to start hearing the voice of God. As you go on to the subject of the price of a decision, you're going to start being more aware of the gravity of the decisions you, you make. That some decisions you take are final. The moment passes and you decide and you seal your fate. And so this is what Bible school is going to start doing for you. It's sticking yourself in an environment where one night a week for an extra three hours, you get fed the Word of God. And some nights you get force-fed the Word of God. But the Word begins to produce in you the very things that you've hoped all along you would get outside of discipline study of the Word of God. And really that's what I'm there to tell you. That thousands of students, over 9,500 students, since 2007, have gone through Christian Family Church International Bible School. Do you know, Pastor Stephen, that we do not have one negative testimony? A student came to me and said to me, Pastor Andre, how do I know God wants me to do this? Really, I'm, I'm waiting for a sign from heaven. Duh. Like God's going to say, you're hungry for the word. I want to study more about you. No, no, it's not a good season for that. There's bigger priorities in the Word right now. Like the Lord's going to say that. I said to him, you know what? Enroll. And if God tells you in the first semester, get off Bible school. Like God's going to say that. I said, if the Lord tells you, listen, now it's time to leave. I said, then leave. But at least do something. 
Listen to what John the Baptist said. I hadn't planned to do this. It will just remind me. Listen to what John the Baptist said. I mean, this is incredible. John, John chapter 1. Let's look at this. It says in John chapter 1 and verse 33, John the Baptist said this. He says, I did not know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me. I've heard people say that as a kid, Jesus and John the Baptist were growing up and that John would recognize him because after all, John leapt within the womb of Elizabeth when Mary came in. That surely John knew who Jesus was. He must have known even before Jesus because he was a bit older that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. The most profound thing is over here, John says, I did not know he was the one. But the significant part of the scripture says, but when God sent me to baptize... John's revelation of who the Messiah was really came when he began to operate in his call. And you see, most people today, they're just simply satisfied with getting saved and knowing Jesus, but because they never aggressively pursue defining God's call for their life and stepping into that call, their revelation of Jesus will always be impaired. So another result, cause and effect of Bible school is that what happens, just like Jesus began to discover himself in the word of God, so likewise you will. Listen, as wonderful as what this church is, I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful venue. You guys have done, give yourselves a hand. You guys have done an incredible job. I mean, such excellence. I mean, look at everything's just perfect. I walk into the children's ministry. They just, they build so well here. It's really, this is a, this is a place you can bring visitors to and feel proud of, you know? And that's the way the Lord wants, the way the Lord wants it to be. So you've done such an outstanding job with this church. I believe New Zealand needs a couple of hundred of these, man. Exactly the same. Cookie cut. Men full of the Holy Ghost. Women full of the Holy Ghost. Sharing the same message of faith. Week in and week out. And so today I declare that this is one of many. In Jesus' name. And I believe the association and the covenant we find ourselves in is going to release an apostolic anointing on this church that may have only operated partially before. And the destiny of this church, Pastor Stephen, is for you to raise up spiritual sons that will do this throughout the island of New Zealand. And that God would move upon both of you and you'll achieve the time will come where all you will be doing is imparting apostolically to each and every one of these churches in Auckland, in Christchurch, in Queensland, all over. That's what I believe God's will is. And you might even be here today and not be able to articulate this, this, this deep sense burning in your heart for what is it that God wants. Perhaps God's calling you. Perhaps God's raising you up. But you have to step into that call. And you, have to make, you have to pay the price. But anyway, let me get on. Let me actually, that was all the introduction. <laughs> what is the time? Oh, no, I'm doing pretty well. I got till two, Pastor Stefan said. And so let me tell you a bit about my journey and explain to you how Bible school came to be and why is it that I'm so passionate about it. I got born again in October 1991. I grew up in a coastal town um, just 20 kilometers south of Durban in South Africa. How many of you know where Durban is? Wave at me. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a coastal town, much like New Zealand. The weather's a bit better. Although, what cracking weather you got, amen? Hey, Pastor Stefan said, won't you move here? 
The Lord goes before me. Praise the Lord. So, and so I grew up 20 kilometers south in a place called Amanzantoti, which is Zulu for um, sweet waters. And I grew up in a denominational church. And eventually I received, I graduated from, from high school and I was going to go do a trade up at South African Airways. And I made my way to Johannesburg, which is about 650 kilometers inland, completely different weather, very miserable. The only view we've got, you guys have got, a, you've got incredible views here. All I've got a view is as a mind dump. That's my view, is a mind dump. And if I look to the right, there's just another mind dump. So if you've been to Johannesburg, that's the kind of view that I've got. So I moved up to Johannesburg and um, to accept the position and to do my trade test at South African Airways. I was a structural aviation technician. And so I was driving along the freeway. I'd always hoped to be able to go to Raymer because I'd watched Pastor Ray on, on TV on the odd occasion. And I thought, gee, that church is smoking and it's big, it's loud, just like me. So I said, I've got to go to that church. And I was driving on the freeway, and I saw this big signboard on the freeway with Pastor Theo's picture on it. And so driving past, my heart pulled towards that. And I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, as soon as my girlfriend back that time moves, and she's my wife today, but back that time she was my girlfriend. But I said, as soon as she moves up, I'll be in church that following week. And so, and so it just so happened that a couple of, um, couple of months later, she moved up, and we went to church. And that was when I really made a commitment for Christ and gave my heart to Jesus. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, that your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life. That means until you meet Jesus, all you'll ever be settling for is a counterfeit. You seen a counterfeit note? It looks the same, smells the same, tastes the same. But really, it doesn't have any value. So until you meet Jesus, and so I, made, I met Jesus, and up until that time, the reason I went to Airways actually was to become a pilot. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a pilot at South African Airways. And I thought if I got my foot in the door and I start doing technical, then I can progress to flight engineer and eventually become a pilot. That changed the day I gave my heart to Jesus. Colossians 2 says that your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And so the day I made a commitment to Jesus, the Lord, I knew that I was called to preach the gospel. So I said to the Lord this, and in my ignorance, God honored it. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll accept you on one condition. I was going to tell God, you know. I said, I'll accept you on one condition, and that is that you saved me, but one day I want to be a pastor on that platform. And so what happened was God accepted the challenge. He saved me, and five years later I stepped into ministry as an area pastor. I served in that capacity until 1999, when by God's providence and not by any work or effort of my own, not by any study because I'd actually only done three courses on an informal Bible school. Through a divine appointment, Pastor Theo said, I want you to become dean of the Bible school. And that's where my journey began was in 1999. I came into ministry January 1996. And in 1999, he promoted me as dean of the Bible school. Talk about pressure. I was telling Pastor Stephen, you know the first email I got the moment I got that title dean? The first email I got was from India. Peter, and the email read, Dear Dean, did Adam have a navel? I can't tell you how that simple email with that ridiculous question threw me off for three years. The pressure to begin to know stuff. Because I thought, if this guy's asking this kind of question, what am I going to do when people start coming with eschatology, anthropology, man, and sin? When they start confronting me hermeneutically, philosophically, homiletically, what on earth am I going to begin? My life is over! 
but pressure. And so I began a course that really altered my life, but really defined where I was today. And I began to study profusely, and I began to learn, because I thought, yes, somebody with the title of Dean, he better know stuff. And all I knew up until that time was that Jesus saved me, I knew how to win souls, and I knew how to love people. <laughs> That's all I knew. And so in 1999, I became Dean of the Bible School, and at that time, we had an informal curriculum. It was kind of, we actually, the previous dean before me set it up like a golf course. You'd love this. At the time, I was also an avid golfer. So he set it up like a golf course, and you went through this Bible school or this layman's school of training, we called it, by, by doing different holes. I cannot tell you how confusing that was for a guy that didn't play golf. Coming to the church saying, oh, hole one starting on Wednesday night. Now, whole one back then was our Christian growth seminar. Whole one starting on Wednesday night. Who's coming? And you get the odd golfer. Because he knew what whole one was. It was a disaster, man. And it went on for four years like that. We're in whole 17. We're in whole 18. We failed whole 12. So anyway, I was doing those holes. I'd only done three courses. And then, and then we migrated from that. That's what I adopted. Then I went into a modular-based training system because I figured people would know what a module is even though they don't know what a hole is. And so it went, it grew in attendance, and it was, and it was fantastic. And then Pastor Theo came to me one day, and he said to me, Pastor Andre, he said, um, I want you to research. I want to have a credible Bible school. I want something that's, that's, that's accredited in this church. I mean, it's a big church. You saw it, right? He, he wants a big church. He wants a Bible school that really speaks, an official Bible school that speaks to the, to the magnitude of this ministry and what we're doing. So I researched a whole bunch of Bible schools. Eventually, I came up with this informal curriculum called Christian Life Training. It was accredited through Calvary University in Europe. And so I studied and I took a look at all these different options and I presented this to Pastor Theo. And I said, sir, yeah, we have a great Bible school that I believe will fulfill our needs. And he says, okay, Andre, go for it. So we marketed and we did our first enrollment. 211 students we got on Christian Life Training. I was very excited. We ran our first year. It was smoking. People loved it. Theologically heavy, but everybody loved it. We enrolled the second year. We enrolled 150 students in our second year. So now I had about 300 students on Bible school. And the one morning I get up and I'm busy praying, and the Lord impresses on my heart 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, New Living Translation. Can you bring up that scripture for me, please? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And I can't, for whatever reason, have you got it? No. Well, there we go. Okay. So, so for whatever reason, this, this scripture just was mulling over in my spirit all the time. And I want to draw your attention to it because it is quite specific. If you're going to be enrolling on this Bible school, this is one of our foundational scriptures. Look at what it says. It says, Paul is speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, right? Now, Timothy was pre-pastor of the church of Ephesus with a congregation of about 6,000 people. Timothy was only about 16. Biblical scholars believe he's only about 16 years old at the time. How many of you are 16 here? Wave at me. Don't be scared. They, they, they think I'm setting them up for something. You're not going to get me, Pastor. I'm quite, I'm quite happy with my fear of commitment. I'm not sticking up my hand. Just now you think I'm going to be Timothy. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Let's hope we can change that. So Paul says to this spiritual son, he says this. He says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now that is very, very significant because really there what you're seeing is the seal of an apostolic anointing on a Bible school curriculum. Notice Paul does not say this. He doesn't say, Timothy, you've heard me confirm many things that other people have taught. You notice that? 
He says, you've heard me teach things that others have confirmed. And in today's church, Pastor Stephen, so many people are absorbed watching TBN, reading books, and waiting for their pastor to say it, so they can say, oh, okay, I'm in the right church. Whereas Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, take the things I've taught you, that have that apostolic mandate, that Jesus taught me in Arabia. It may not be the sum knowledge of the entire Bible, but in order to be my spiritual son, he says, take the things that you've heard me teach, and look what he says. He says, that have been confirmed by others. So there's still doctrinal accuracy, okay? And he says, by many reliable witnesses, now teach these great truths to trustworthy people. So in, this mor- in that morning, I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm noticing these things are jumping out at me. You know? And so we had prayer meeting later on that morning. We walk into prayer meeting. Now, bearing in mind, I'd invested three years into these 300 students. The course was going well, and Pastor Theo called me to one side, and he said, Andre, come here. Now, this is just before we're going into prayer meeting. And this is how he breaks the news to me. He says, I want you to stop CLT. And he says, let's go pray. I said, uh. Now, I've always just obeyed the man of God, because the man of God awakens the call of God in your life. The man of God awakens the call of God in your life. Elisha did it with Elijah. Paul did it with Timothy. You find that pattern throughout Scripture. They see in you what you don't see in yourself. And if you don't find a man that has an apostolic anointing on his life to point out what he sees in you, chances are you'll always just settle for mediocrity. It's the man of God that awakens the call of God. You have to be in a good church. You have to live a life in relation to the leaders that God gives you. And so I looked at Pastor Theo and I said, sure, what are we going to do and why? And he said to me, it's not over here, Pastor Andre. He says, it's in here. God is telling you to do, to do something different. And before I was going to ask why again, the Lord reminded me of this scripture. So I said, Pastor Theo, what are we going to do? He says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. And what I feel impressed in my heart. I want you to take the 29 years of ministry. Back then it was 27 years. He says, and I want, to create, I want you to create a Bible school in keeping with what the Lord has revealed to me. Now we've had many people, ladies and gentlemen, when we sent our curriculum away to get a credit to Pastor Stephen, we had experts criticizing it. They'd look at our curriculum based upon our subject and say, but this is so theologically thin. There's no hermeneutics in here. I said, yeah, it's covered in this module, just not the same name. They said, oh, but where's anthropology, man, and sin? I said, no, we've got that in foundational doctrines. There it is over there. They said, but what about eschatology? There's no end-time teaching over here. I said, listen, there's end-time teaching throughout this curriculum. So they criticized us because we didn't fulfill the criteria by most seminaries or theological schools around the world. And at the end of the day, I had to look at these guys and say, okay, 29 of them who are evaluating our curriculum, 29 of them, I said, okay, how many of you pastor a church? And a couple of them put up their hands. I said, how big is your congregations? The largest one was 1,200 people. I said, how many churches have you planted around the world? None of them had planted more than the church they were pastoring. I said, now you want to tell me, and where did you graduate from? Oh, no, we did this seminary, we did this theological college. I said, now tell me, you want to argue because you know a tree by its fruit? You don't judge a tree by the way it looks, you judge a tree by its fruit. I mean, even if it's in full bloom, some Christians are like that. They've got all the leaves. But there's no fruit. Jesus cursed the fig tree that even had leaves on it. So your, your life will be judged by the fruit that you produce, not by how you look. You can look great. But at the end of your life and at the end of your, of, your, of, your, of your adolescence and at the end of your teenage, what is the fruit that you've left behind? Because that is really what's going to 
judge you. And that's what you will be graded upon, is the fruit by God's grace. And so I looked at these gentlemen and I said, okay, you want to pull the curriculum to pieces, but yet not one of you have achieved, by the grace of God, what this ministry has achieved in the last 30 years. They couldn't argue that. They looked at me and they said, we passed the curriculum. And they passed the entire curriculum, the way it stands and the way it is today. And so, in keeping with this wonderful promise, I then began the process. I said to Pastor Theo, the Lord reminded me, and I shared with Pastor Theo, I said, look what Jesus gave me this morning, which confirms what the direction he was leading us in. And I got so excited about it, so I said, yes, let's do it. I said, that's, that's amazing. And I went to my office after prayer meeting. I promise you now, I laid on the floor in the fetal position and I wept for two hours. I cried, not because of the greatness of, of, of the wonderful, the, the blessing of the Lord. I cried because I was scared. I wept like a baby. I'm not joking to you. I was full of fear and trepidation. You must understand, I was a glorified panel beater. It sounds very impressive, structural aviation. But I was a panel beater. Bucking iron in one hand, rivet gun in the other. That's how I fixed aircraft. So now God comes and says, listen, with your limited qualifications, not knowing anything about curriculum development, or the first step I'm going to take in how to develop this, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I was, I was petrified. I was petrified. I mean, how many of you have been there before? I mean, God just reveals a small little glimpse of where he wants you to go. And all of a sudden you think, my life's over. I should not have drawn so close to the Lord because this scares me to death. Can you imagine if he'd shown Moses everything he was going to do before he went, hey? I mean, he didn't say to me, he said, go, deliver us, deliver us, deliver your children Israel. If he said to Moses, listen, before you deliver anybody, I'm going to send you into the wilderness for 40 years. Imagine if he'd showed Moses that section of it. God never reveals his complete will to you. It's just one step at a time, one season at a time. He wants you to continually trust him. And so I, I fell on my knees and I began to and I began to seek the Lord. And if you are here today, I hope this ministers to you. Um, if ever you've ever felt inadequate for the task that God has called you to do, and sometimes it's just as simple as a as the as the task of being married. I mean, sometimes that's sort of walk in the park. <laughs> See Peter going, hey, preach. <laughs> no, he wasn't doing that. I'm kidding. He just looked at his wife. Went. <laughs> but I mean, sometimes, sometimes that can be a call of God. How many of you married people say amen? Yeah, you're scared. You don't want to raise your hands. <laughs> you don't want to raise your hands. Okay, damn, what are you talking about? But I pray that this will bless you because I felt completely inadequate. And I've read the scriptures, lean not unto your own understanding, but acknowledge the Lord. Trust the Lord your heart, the Lord your God with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and you make your path straight. I mean, I had those scriptures saturating me. I knew them. But I needed, there's a difference between a word from God and the word from God. I needed a word from the Lord, not the word of God. There's a big difference. And I know I'm jumping about, but I sense this to the Lord saying this today, that too many people are trying to put on Saul's armor. What do I mean by that? You're trying to live off another man's walk with God. You're trying to live off another man's, another man's revelation of the Word of God. That won't do. You have to get your own. Jesus said you have to lay, dig down deep and lay your foundation on the rock. He says it's up to you to do. You see? 
And so I didn't just need the word of God. I need a word from God that would quell my fears. And so as I was laying there weeping before the Lord, saying, I can't do it like Moses, you know? But I can't, I'm, I can't. And the Lord says, do it. He says, but I And the Lord says, okay, here we go. Here's Aaron. I mean, Moses tried to get out of that position four times until God eventually said to him, hey, you're going to do it. So I found myself where Moses was, feeling completely inadequate for the task. Not marriage. I was up to that. Or at least I thought I was back then. But I just wasn't up to the task. Of the, and I said to the Lord, what, are you gonna, what am I going to do? And the Holy Spirit is so precious. You know, He spoke into my heart. And it changed my life. I've never, ever forgotten the scripture, ladies and gentlemen. It's one of, you know you get those scriptures that, 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 that govern your life. You get those life encounters with God. They may not always be profound. But they really shape who you become in Jesus. And that's why I feel so sorry for the people that don't pursue the Lord. Because they don't have those moments and they're always living with somebody's leftover revelation. They've always got to grab and grasp at something else, an encounter that somebody else has with the Lord. And the Lord spoke this promise into my heart, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. And he said this, he said, Andre, but it was the way he worded it. He said this, Andre, he says, Christ has become your wisdom from God. And I knew it when he said it, I knew it. He said, Christ has become your wisdom from God. But what he said after that is what changed me. He said, therefore, from now on, you can expect to know what to do in every situation. And I promise you now, that expectancy of knowing what to do, if Christ had become my wisdom, you see, I knew that, but I never expected to know what to do. I stood up from there and I began to write. And I said, Lord, you've answered my prayer. I don't believe I'm capable of my own strength. I know that I'm depending upon you. But Lord, I know what my strengths are. And I can encourage and motivate. But Lord Jesus, you know I can't administrate my way out of a paper bag. Really, I promise you now, I'm just like Pastor Stefan. <laughs> I know that because we've spoken. He said, no. He says, no, he says, Pastor Vanessa, she organizes everything. She tells me 11 o'clock at night, this is what you're doing tomorrow. And I say, oh, no, Vanessa, can we just leave that till tomorrow? So him and I are kindred spirits. We're closer. I mean, we are tight. We're like that. I need my Natalie. She's my PA. She actually controls my life. I know my wife likes to believe she does, but she knows as well, and she'll confirm Natalie controls my life. So I couldn't administer my way out of a paper bag. So that was the first prayer answer. I said, Lord, you've got to give me somebody that will help me put this thing together. Even for your glory, I don't care. And that's when you know you've matured in the Lord, when you don't care who gets the credit for what you do. That's when you've matured in the Lord, when you don't care who gets the credit for what you do. And I'm standing here today to tell you that our COO, Pastor Johnny Slubbett, I brought him into ministry when he was still a young believer. But what he knew about the practicalities of business and how to get a project done and goal setting, he was the second answer to me. He was my second miracle. And it's because of those three things, Pastor Theo's instruction, the Word of God, understanding that I could expect to know what to do in every situation, and God strengthening my weaknesses, that this curriculum is where it is today. And I believe, I'm telling you these things, ladies and gentlemen, so that you can see that this is a school of the Spirit. This is not something that was just plastered together, slapped a few curriculum ideas and thought, oh, well, let's get our church busy and get them studying stuff. I want you to see that it's part of our DNA. It's what God has told us to do. And, and we're planting churches just this year. We're planting another eight churches just out of Christian Family Church and San Antonio alone as a result of the school. And so it was the development, it was the development of this curriculum. I said to the Lord, we began the process. 
we got thousands of hours, 3,900 hours of Pastor Theo's teaching, audio tapes. And I got subject developers. I gave a tape to every single one of our subject developers and I said, okay, begin transcribing. They begin to handwrite every single thing Pastor Theo said and the way he said it. Then I took those different tapes and I divided them into approximately 36 modules over three years. And I attached a theme to each and every one of these years. What, what I'm trying to tell you is that, ladies and gentlemen, when you enroll in Bible school and you, do all the, and you do the subject of righteousness, you are not just getting a book on righteousness. You are getting a man's life experiences, 30 years of ministry, and operating in the revelation of right standing with God. That's what you're getting in between those pages. I mean, Pastor Vanessa's just finished reading now How to Recognize the Voice of God, one of Pastor Theo's books. And... Um, and his life experiences really speak as much about his faith in God and the Word of God than anything else. And you'll be exposed to that. So our first year's theme, and I'm just going to tell you about that. Second year can take care of itself and so can third year. But our first year's theme on Bible school is cultivating intimacy with God through personal relationship. Because we believe that in order for you to achieve anything significant for the kingdom of God, you better have a close, tight, tight close relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about this. When God created Adam and Eve, Peter, He didn't create Him to have a worldwide tape ministry. He didn't create Him to be the pastor of the biggest church in the world. He didn't even create Him for TBN. And this is where many people think they get it wrong. You see, they place the call of God above their relationship with God, and that's fundamentally a huge flaw. God created Adam. Why? Because He wanted to be loved. And I'm, tell you, I'm here today to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus wants to walk with you every day. He wants a relationship with you. There's nothing in your life that is too insignificant for him. He wants to be involved in every area of your life. In actual fact, he throws so much sugar over you that in his spare time, he counts the number of hairs on your head. Some takes longer than others. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Pete. I mean, the Lord looks at peace. There's one, two. Okay, we're done. Let's move on to the next one. Oh, this is going to be a big job. I'm busy with you. I'm busy with you. <laughs> I don't want God to call down fire from heaven, you know, when they mess with Elijah. Baldy man, baldy man. <laughs> Roasted. But Jesus, he's crazy about you. I mean, if he had a fridge, your magnet would be on it. With you, you'd be right there, you know. He loves you, and that's why he died for you, was to have a relationship. That's never, ever changed. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Word of God is Philippians 3.10, but in the Amplified Translation. Listen to the scripture, and, and it really enforces what I'm trying to tell you today. Philippians 3.10, Amplified. Have we got that? It's coming, it's coming. Okay, while they're finding it, let me tell you what it says. Paul the Apostle says this. He says, aha. Look at what he says. You saved me there. Um, he says this. He says, for my determined purpose. Now listen, before I go any further, biblical scholars agree that by the time when Paul wrote to the book of the Philippian church, he had already been born again for 20 to 30 years. Is there anybody here today that's been born again for between 20 and 30 years? Wave at me. Okay, it's, not, it's definitely the minority, okay? Now can you imagine this guy? I mean, he's written two-thirds of the New Testament. He's planted every church he planted the core churches from which every church today exists in Asia Major and Asia Minor. I mean, this guy had a ministry of note. He would have been the T.D. Jakes of our time. He would have been the Smith Wigglesworth of our time. And look what Paul says. Born again for 20 years, he says, For my determined purpose is that I might write more books. 
that I may plant more churches, that I may win more souls. He doesn't say any of those things that traditionally today we would think is what sets a minister above the rest. He says this, he says, my determined purpose is that I may know him. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person. Not his power. You see, people, many men of God today pursue God because they want his power. They become a modern day, what is that guy's name? That, was it, no, what is it, Simeon? The prophet that went to Peter and said, oh no, come on. I want to pray for people and didn't fill them with tongues. He was a soothsayer. What was his name? Was Simeon. In book of Acts. Come on, help me guys. I've hit a blank. Simeon. It was Simeon, right? I mean, we, people today become, become modern day Simeons. They're saying, Lord, I pursue you because I want your power. Yeah, Paul says, forget the power. He says, pursue him because you want to become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? I believe that at the end of Paul's life, he looked back and said, ah, all these letters that I wrote because of my intimate relationship with Jesus have formed canon and are now part of the Bible. He looked back and said, look at all these churches I planted. You see, his focus, his determined purpose was to pursue Jesus. And let me tell you this today, ladies and gentlemen, the devil's not trying to make you poor, he's not trying to make you sick, and he's not trying to make you miserable. He's after your relationship with the Lord. Because he knows, just like Paul knows, that if you maintain that inner sanctum, that, that quiet time, that intimate relationship with Jesus, that everything you will ever achieve in life will be as a result of your walk with God. It starts in your knees. It starts in the encounters that the Lord gave you. This Bible school, my life, my wife, my kids, everything is as a result of the encounters that I've had with my Lord Jesus, my Savior, and my best friend. And it is our heart's desire in this Bible school to maybe get you back to that place or get you deeper in that place of that intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul wasn't the only one that felt this way. And I'm not doing this chronologically, but let's skip to Moses, Exodus chapter 33. And I'm not going to go through the whole, par the whole paragraph for the sake of time. But you go read the account in Exodus verse 33 in the, in you, in you, the um, NIV translation. And forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to paraphrase what happens in this encounter with God. Do you know when the Lord hides Moses in the cleft of the rock? But just prior to that, Moses asks God, and he said, listen, you're about to send us across into the promised land. Who will you send with us? And God says this. He says to Moses, he says, my presence will go with you. Now, I don't know about you, Pastor Stefan, but how many of you have actually felt the tangible presence of God? Can I see your hands? You here? Okay. I mean, isn't it awesome? You never want to leave church. You can worship for hours. So yeah, God offers. He says to Moses, he says, listen, that presence, can you imagine living like that? I mean, goosebumps all the time. Crying. <laughs> Wherever you go, just that presence of God around you all the time. Can you imagine anything better than that? I personally can't. So you must forgive me as I read this encounter that he has with God in kind of technicolor. I'm reading up to that verse and I'm saying, yes, that's what I want. I want this presence with God with me all the time. And I read further and you know what Moses says? He says, listen, if you don't go with us, nobody will know that you're there. He says, but what else? And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, what do you mean what else? What else is there? Your God of creation comes to you and says, listen, my presence, listen, you can be with somebody but not be intimate. You can be in the presence of somebody and not know them. 
but yet you can know somebody and not necessarily be in their presence. And that's the difference here, you see. God is saying, Moses, I'll go with you. And Moses is saying, what else? So you can read it in the NIV translation. The Lord says, what do you mean, what else? What else do you want? And Moses echoes the spirit of Paul, and he says this to God. He says, I want to know you the way you know me. He said, you've told me that you know me. you told me that these are your people. Moses says, I want to know you the way that you know me. You see, Pastor Stephen, that's what made Moses who he was. He was to those Israelites what Jesus is to us today. And that's why God strived with Moses, and that's why God blessed him. That's why God could give him a congregation of over three million people. Because Moses never wanted the people, he just wanted God. God revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai not only the 693 commandments we have in the Bible today, but he saw a shadow of Jesus' coming. God showed that and revealed that to Moses because Moses' simple question and statement to the Lord was, Lord, I want to know you the way you know me. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm asking you to enroll in Bible school simply to get to have those encounters and want to get to know Jesus better. I want you to step in that realm and just say, Lord, apart from everything else, because you see, ladies and gentlemen, that's the key to success. In Isaiah, we read where, where King Uzziah died. The Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I had, a, I had a vision from the Lord. Now, why is it significant that Uzziah had to die? Well, you see, Uzziah was a godly king initially. But he became idolatrous, and he committed one of the, the biggest acts of pride that any king in the Bible had ever done. He went and offered incense and sacrificed to the Lord, which was the high priest's position. Josephus says that when he did this, there was an earthquake and the temple split open and the sunlight came through the roof and as the sunlight hit him, he became leprous and he died of leprosy. So the significance of Isaiah's revelation really hinges upon the king the day that, that, that when King Uzziah died, when pride died, revelation came. And it paints such a beautiful picture of our salvation experience in this, in this, in this portion of scripture. I will encourage you to go read it at home. But then God say, God speaks to you, Isaiah, and Isaiah says this. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Depart from me. And the Bible says a cherubim took a coal and came and touched his mouth. And I thought to myself, what's the significance of the mouth being touched? Because he touches his mouth with his coal, Peter. And the, and the cherubim says to him, he says, listen, he says, you are now saved. You have now been forgiven. You are now cleansed. And I'm thinking to myself, but a coal on the lips, cleansing of the what's going on here? And it was only then I began to realize that you were saved so that you could say something. You were saved so that you could speak. But then the Lord says this. He doesn't say, Isaiah, you go. He says this. He says, and I heard the Lord say, who will go? Who will go? And Isaiah, in the, in the words of the donkey from Shrek, pick me, pick me. He says, he says, he says here I am, Lord, send me. And God says, okay, go. God's calling all of us. Sometimes we just complicate stuff. Sometimes you don't have to wait to have an epiphany or a divine revelation. Just get out there and move and do something. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, Isaiah understood something, and that is that our first call in life is to go and pursue the Lord. So listen to me, and I'm going to close with this final scripture. So Paul the Apostle says, My, divine, my determined purpose is that I may know Him. 
to become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Moses says, Lord, I want to know you the way you know me. And that's when God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, which is a type of Jesus. And he says, I will let my goodness go before you. Moses had a revelation of God and saw the pre-incarnate Jesus way before or outside of his time because he pursued the Lord. I can tell you now there is nothing that God will not make available to you if you pursue a relationship with Him. Now you might say to me, Pastor Andre, that's great. I've got Paul's word, I've got Moses' word. You need to confirm it one more time because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth will be established. Well, you may not know what this says, but just go look at John chapter 17 and verse 3. Before you bring it up, I want to tell you what it says and then you can see that I'm proved right. If I had to ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, how would you define eternal life? What would eternal life be to you? What would it be? What is eternal life to you? No, you know it, so I'm not going to ask you. But if you had to define eternal life, what would you say eternal life is? To live forever? That would be pretty good. Go to, go to heaven to be with Jesus, right? What is eternal life? Free from sickness? It's a Zoe kind of life. Life the way God lives it. It's life free of depression. And all those would be great. But I think Jesus is the one that we should allow to define what true eternal life is. Bearing in mind what Paul said, my determined purpose is that I may know him. Bearing in mind what Moses said, I want to know you the way you know me. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is eternal life. It means to know, to perceive, to recognize, become acquainted with and understand you. The only true and real God. And likewise to know him, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, whom you have sent. You were saved to know him. You were saved to know him. And if ever you think that you got saved to fulfill a call, your call, like Isaiah, is to worship the King. And so in conclusion and wrapping this up, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to say to you today that if there's one goal we've set for your first year on Bible school, is that is you may know Him. To cultivate intimacy with God through personal relationship. Every single one of the modules that you're going to be studying on year one are going to move you into a deep relationship with Jesus. And if you just focus on that, listen to me. If you just focus on that, everything else will just begin to fall into place. Why? Because your priorities have been made straight. God bless you, everybody.